Hello, and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy Soltero. What's up, guys? How you doing, bro? Doing really good, man. Doing really good. Just was at the Mexico Costa Rica game in Dallas this past Saturday. I want to give a quick shout out to my boy Arturo. Really nice meeting you, bro. He's a Real Madrid fan, so you know we all make some bad uh, yeah. decisions in our yeah. life. I understand yeah. it, but yeah, it was really nice meeting him, man. And there's another guy too. I was like already seated but he shouted out like give and go no way and i was like oh shit hey what's up Damn, bro? yeah dude. so sorry couldn't dab you up bro i'm not sure you know what your name is but again really nice meeting you guys i love seeing just anybody who knows us in person man it's so nice like getting all that appreciation all that love so thank you for watching us man thank you for supporting the channel yeah, the thank pod you. Thank you. and also i forgot man two weeks ago or like three weeks ago i was in electric forest Michigan. And Michigan, Michigan, Rothbury, Michigan, and I met a fan there too. God so I want to give out another shout out to my boy Brandon, also a Real Madrid fan <laughs> for fuck's sake, bro. But hey, once again, hey. very nice meeting you, Brandon. Hey, let's keep this podcast going, yes, bro. Sir, I am curious. Um, what jersey did you end up wearing to the Costa Rica Mexico match? Oh, I, I wore the Costa Rica jersey. You Costa Rica. Damn, uh, yeah. So he recognized you in the Costa Rica shirt. You know, yeah, he he did. But it's funny. The moment I woke up that day, it wasn't even a question. I looked at the Mexico jersey, I tossed it aside, mm -hmm. and I donned that Costa Rica jersey. What I really realized, man, is that the allegiance that I made with Costa Rica 12 years ago, I can't undo that. So anytime I have the opportunity to see them live, even if they're, you know, ter dog shit, even if they're terrible, they will have my unwavered support. So Costa Rica... Thank you. They ended up losing that game, but uh, yeah, Mexico played all right. You know, I guess they deserved it. You're just as bad as Madrid fans, bro. All right, <laughs> we're here to talk transfers. We're stepping away from the uh, Gold Cup, and we're going to talk about transfers, bro. We're midway through the transfer window right now, the summer transfer window, and I want to get our thoughts and opinions out on the official confirmed transfers that have happened throughout this window. Please. We have some crazy ones, bro. Yeah. Some crazy ones, some really monumental moves, but... Overall, you know what I was noticing, dude? Mm. It's been a lot of good signings. Yeah. Like a lot of good signings. Like a lot of teams just boosting themselves up, adding more talent to what already is a very good team. And you could say this for a number of teams. We'll go in depth. But the only criteria, the only criteria for this discussion is that it is that it is not a rumor. You know, I, yeah. I don't want another East Coast situation, bro. That shit was embarrassing yeah. for the channel. Can't <laughs> do another one of those, bro. When it East fell Coast, through. It fell through. He was rumored to go to Union Berlin. We talked about it. And then a day later, we looked like fools, man. Mm. I don't want to do that shit again. I want confirmed transfers. But you're allowed to have, let's say, five to six out there that really stood out to you. And I'm interested to know, right off the bat, what's the first one that you'd like to bring up? Out of what you've seen in the scope and yeah, the yeah. genesis of football, What's the first transfer you'd like to talk about? You know what tr transfer really got me, bro? Because there was one transfer, not a, not a huge one, but there was one that actually surprised me. And it was more of a sentimental surprise, more than like a tactical purchase or a really strategic transfer, right? And I'm talking about the transfer of Kalidou Koulibaly mm. to Al-Helal from Chelsea. And let me explain yeah, myself here. why that one here. stand out to you? Right. So when I heard the news... My reaction came in three parts. Okay. The first part was like another Saudi Arabian transfer. Yes. Which is, it's getting more and more, bro. And for some reason, it's like half of Chelsea's team. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on there, but that was bizarre. That was my first reaction. My second reaction was, should the give and go move to Saudi Arabia, bro? <laughs> like, holy shit. We've been shit. talking about it ever since we had the World Cup reaction and we hyped up Saudi Arabia in the build up to the tournament. Yeah. We got that Saudi love, bro. 
I'm just saying, man, the logo's already green. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. Look, hey, if any Saudis out there want to purchase the gift, <laughs> I'm open I'm to I'm very it, open to the purchase, really and we will move there gladly and you know set up shop over there. <laughs> but my third and final reaction was I was like, damn. You know, Koulibaly just spent eight years of his career in Italy with Napoli mm. building Build, trying to build up to something great, whether it's winning the Scudetto itself or trying to make deep runs in Champions League. But it ultimately never happened for him. And I remember going into like 2020, right before the pandemic, for like two, three years, Koulibaly was lauded as one of yes. the best center backs 100%. in Europe. And the most he achieved with Napoli was two cups. Just two domestic, I think one yeah. Super Cup and one Coppa Italia. Yeah, and a couple Champions League qualifications. Yeah, and then yeah. never like a truly deep, deep run. And they're, they're, Napoli had good teams throughout those years, and Koulibaly was the leader at the back for pretty much all of them. And then he finally tries to, you know, test himself abroad from Italy and gets, in what my opinion was, a good transfer to an intriguing Chelsea team, right, yeah. last year. Yeah. But unfortunately, we also what happened to Chelsea later that year, they imploded. And I just thought that was like incredibly bad luck, especially considering that exact same year, Napoli win the league. Mm -hmm. And then they have a really good year in the Champions League, all without Koulibaly. And then after just one measly year at Chelsea, and I don't blame him because of the situation, he's now leaving Europe altogether. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, damn, like, it does kind of suck. I just think more of it as his career is just maybe a little bit unlucky. Now, obviously, he still was regarded, and rightly so, as one of the best center backs to have played in the modern game. I still, I think I can stand by that. But, you know, I guess it, I guess it kind of makes sense. His age is 32 now. Yeah. He also said that going to Saudi Arabia actually makes sense for him personally since he's also Muslim. So he's going to be probably maybe happier there oh, too, nice. which is nice. Yeah. But yeah, I just think from a club perspective, knowing how good Koulibaly was, I'm left a little bummed or maybe just a little saddened by it. Overall, though, I'm sure you can look back on his career and be like, damn, you know, like I had some incredible moments. I would say probably his biggest one was winning the African Cup of Nations with Senegal, leading that entire back line and actually pulling that off. It just sucks because if you consider him the Senegalese defensive captain, Sadio Mane, the offensive captain for Senegal, was able to get a Premier League. He was able to get a Champions League title. So I just wish Koulibaly would have gotten that same treatment. But it's just not meant to be sometimes. Uh, it's, it's just not meant to be. He's the product of bad timing, though. That's yeah. the thing. He was widely regarded as one of the best center backs, and yet nothing happened for him when he was at Napoli. It should have been like Kim Menjay, for example, where he had one really good year at Napoli, and then he gets shipped off to the next big stage that he that is available to him. But he just continues staying there. And I thought the issue with him was that he ended up going to Chelsea when he was already 31 years old. Yes. And I know that's still not too old of an age, but that's not the ideal age to enter a new league and to just add more difficulty to the situation. Having that team be Chelsea ends up resulting in a one-year stay and exit. So yeah. I think it's just bad timing. If he had come to the Premier League, maybe... <sighs> couple years in advance to a different team things could have looked a lot more different and i wonder if this move would have still happened right and that's i think why i'm left bummed and saddened by this because i think of what could have been you know which isn't a good thing to do all the time i do understand that but it just still sucks it really is just a product of bad timing but i want to just tag in another transfer here because Go it's ahead. going to the same team ruben neves also going to al-helal and i want to talk about this one because it gives me the same sentiment 
I'm just saddened that he's already leaving Europe, but this one's a little different because he's in his prime, man. And what's crazy is like seven, eight months ago, I did an entire piece on Neves when I did a solo show. I think you were like in Portugal or something. And my conclusion at the end of that Ruben Neves analysis was he's got to go to a better team than Wolves because he's that good. His distribution, his spatial awareness on and off the ball, and of course his passing ability. He's one of the best just out-and-out central midfielders out there. And he did. He gave Wolves everything. And, you know, Wolves gave him everything, too, giving him a start to a really good career. I just think going to Al-Halal right now is such an interesting move, and I'm saddened by it um, personally. Um, you, you should say disappointed, though, no? You should say disappointed. Disappointed, bro. yeah? No, I'm, I'm disappointed, man, because I wanted to see him elsewhere. Yeah, go, go test your talent at a big club yeah. and then go to Saudi Arabia and cash out. Don't do that right now, man. Yeah, and what's crazy is that he's like, what, 26, 27? Yes. So he could have done just two years at another European club yes. and still gone to Al-Halal for another six years and still make bank, man. Yes. So it's like, yeah, it's frustrating. It's disappointing that Nevis is making this decision given how good he is. But at the same time, what if we had the opportunity to go to ESPN, but Saudi Arabia offered an opportunity right now and went to Saudi Arabia? Uh, and you know, you know what situation. It, you know what is interesting though is that this Al Halal team looking real enticing, bro. <laughs> looking really, looking enticing. really enticing. They got, they got uh, Ruben Neves, uh, Khalidou Koulibaly, uh, Musa Marega, right? Yeah, they He's still, still have there. Him, yeah. And then they got one more, Milinkovic Savic. The midfielder? Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, bro. It's a We're recording. We're recording. Yes. Milinkovic Savage, the Serbian. Sergey. This, yeah, Sergey from uh, from Lazio, Lazio, who is one of the greatest midfielders in Serie A right now, is going to Al Hilal for forty million. Is he really? Yes, dude. Yes, dude. That's this. Okay, well, that that one more than Ruben Neves, dude. That's crazy. This guy is a baller. Yeah. We're talking about studs, bro. Yeah. Studs going over to Saudi Arabia now. But when you look at the Saudi Arabian teams, like the top five teams that have been most active the tra- during this transfer window, they're all forming up some really interesting squads. And it, it's make me wonder, I got to ask this to you. Are you actually going to watch the Saudi league next year? You know, it's funny. I think I've actually briefly mentioned it on the pod, but I rotate Champions Leagues as far as deep dives and how much I watch them every year. And it just so happens that in my schedule for this upcoming season, I'm doing a deep dive into the AFC Champions League. So it's the perfect timing for it because we're going to see some really good Saudi Arabian talent in there. And I, I need a seat. At least two of them go to like a semifinal here. It's usually always Al-Hilal. Sometimes some of the other Saudi Arabian teams do okay. But honestly, they usually don't. But alongside Al-Hilal, I need to see you know, what Al-Nasr or what other uh, yeah. Saudi Arabian team is doing well to go up there and meet them and make a deep run. And yeah. that, that'd be really cool to see. But you know, I'll let you know as, as I watch the tournament. Know, in the Champions League, man, I think Urawa has something to say, man. They That's got something so to cool. say. That's, That's what's so crazy. Cool about Asia, man, is that no matter how good Al Halal gets, because they improve every year, this might be the most drastic improvement, but no matter how good they get, there's always one Korean or Japanese team that is just ready to face yeah, them. Yeah, like a splinter, man. They're just they're so tough <laughs> to get out of the way, yes. man. But they're there, they're and you there. can't ignore them, and they have talented teams as well. And enough to beat them, too. So it's it's so fascinating. Again, I'm really excited to go into Asian football this year. Yeah. 
Um, Milinkovic Savage, dude. Yeah. Ruben Neves, Kaidu Koulibaly, and already a couple of studs on the team as well. Yeah. Crazy what's happening over there. And just to finish, just my sentiment here about these moves to Saudi Arabia. Again, when I say I'm disappointed, I'm not talking about, oh, they're going to a less competitive league. More so, I'm talking about just from the European scope, right? I want to see them play in the best club competition out there, which is the UEFA Champions League. And so, given that they were already there, I'm disappointed that they're actually leaving that situation, yeah. leaving that opportunity. But when I go to the Asian scope, bro, I get excited, man. Yes, yeah, Because true. of what, what I true. just said, like watching Asian football, watching the AFC Champions League is going to be that much more intriguing. So I'm all here for it, bro. I started right. light. Since yeah. we're starting off with some light ones, this is a light, the light transfer, although I don't think it's a very uh, mm. light situation because I think this player's impact is going to be massive. It's going to be huge for a team that has desperately needed a talent like this in their starting 11. James Madison has announced that he is going to Tottenham on a fee of, I believe, 40 million euros. James Madison, the ex-Leicester City player, at one time played for Norwich as well. Attacking midfielder, creative player, can play fluid passes all across the pitch. I think I saw a stat that ever since he entered the Premier League, he's like in the top five for goals and assists combined. Next up to names like Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah as well. This is a talented, talented player. Yeah, James Madison going to Tottenham. I like it. What's crazy about this signing, and it's more so just more on Madison himself, he could go anywhere and make an impact. He's that type of player. He really is. You give him the ball, and he puts it on himself to be creative, whether it's through his dribble penetration. He's also a pretty decent penetrative passer as well. And, you know, when he gets those opportunities in front of goal, he's not bad. He has kind of struggled, let's say, the last year and a half in front of goal with Leicester. But in my opinion, I think that's just more so the vibes are at Leicester, bro. Like, they've just been going downhill for the last two seasons. And I was always frustrated to see a player like James Madison kind of go down with them, finally getting relegated this year. Loki was probably a blessing for Madison to just get that easy transfer to which every team wanted him. And as you already pointed out, Tottenham need a player like Madison. So even though Madison could have gone anywhere, in my opinion, I think he's going to be really well utilized here at Tottenham. I do wonder, though, I know we said we wouldn't talk about rumors, but there is one Kane, yeah. right? The yeah. idea of Kane possibly leaving, I think Bayern Munich might be mm -hmm. that rumor. Not to talk about that specifically, but... You know, if, if Madison doesn't really have anyone to feed to, especially if, if Kane's not there anymore, that's such a huge hole, bro. Madison might be with another just yeah, kind of average offensive team. Yeah. And that would suck because we'll never actually see James Madison <laughs> being able to pull the strings with yeah. like an elite number nine right in front of him. That would yeah. suck. But I do wonder from like Kane's perspective, does he see the signing as like maybe some sort of incentive to be like, ah, well, you know, maybe I do stay for an extra yeah, year. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder how much of a factor of him chasing that goal scoring record plays into him not wanting to go to Bayern Munich or if he does. I don't know what he wants. I know that Tottenham rejected it because they didn't like the amount of money that was proposed, 80 million euros. But if Harry Kane wants to stay in the Premier League to continue chasing Alan Shearer's record, then what other team could offer a better situation at this point, especially with yeah. the signing of James Madison? I think, I don't know. I, I would like to see James Madison, like you said, I would like to see him achieve his potential with his dream number nine striker up top and, you know, really flourish for once in a positive setting. But if Harry Kane leaves and James Madison turns into James Saddison, man, that's a, that's a <laughs> sad boy right there. You know, we'll never know this, dude, but... 
I wonder, does Kane view this signing as like a positive move in the right direction? For example, you know, and we'll probably talk about it later, but why didn't they get Alexis McAllister, a guy who actually had a better season last year numbers-wise and won a fucking World Cup? So why wouldn't Tottenham go with a similar archetype player but just the better one? If I'm Kane, I'd actually still be a little frustrated that we're not getting like the cream of the crop type of players. But, you know, then again, Madison still is he's a baller, man. And I, again, if we can see him maximize this, I think he'll put up some really good numbers alongside Kane. But I, I do just wonder what's going to happen with that whole Kane saga. Maybe, you know, a month's time we'll be talking about that transfer if it does happen. But, yeah, Jay's Madison to Tottenham, I like it overall. Next transfer I want to talk about. This one just fascinated me because I didn't really see it coming. But after analyzing it, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Kai Havertz. Oh, let's do it. Let's go in, Let's man. do it, man. A player who's kind of an anomaly, in my opinion, Yeah. came onto the scene for Bayer Leverkusen at a very young age. And the reason why his name was getting thrown out a lot in the Bundesliga was because he was scoring goals. You know, and I remember looking into him because I was like, who is this kid, man? Who's this 17, 18-year-old guy going off for Leverkusen all of a sudden, just graduated from their academy? And, you know, I saw him play in... I'm not going to say I was necessarily that impressed. What I was impressed with, though, is like his ability to be crafty and nifty in the box. Not the bulkiest player, but he's like 6'3", so he's got that tall frame. He had decent touch on the ball, but you know, similar to Chicharito, he really excelled at just being at the right place at the right time as far as box play was concerned. He would just pop up in wide open spaces where the ball was going to be, and he had the right touch or the right finish to put it through. But I wouldn't necessarily say Kai Havertz is just an out-and-out finisher no you know I really wouldn't say that then he finally gets that move to Chelsea and he's had decent seasons but for me he's just underwhelmed especially considering the amount of money that they paid for him and the hype that was behind him I remember when that I remember when Chelsea bought him from Leverkusen every single Chelsea fan or Chelsea channel was like Kai Havertz he's the next big kid and I'm just like really you, y'all really think that? Because from what I see, he's got a lot of work to do. Now, I will say this. He's improved maybe from like a ball technical perspective at Chelsea. I say his ball handles are a lot better. He has incredibly tight control. His tight one-two passing with his teammates is good. But I still don't think I would classify him as like a creative midfielder who can put in that killer penetrative pass I still wouldn't classify him as an out and out striker or even a secondary striker because when I think about players in an offensive line I don't really have Kai Havertz as that archetype of a player but what's crazy is that Kai Havertz has played in pretty much every position you could imagine for Chelsea's offensive line they've tried him out wide as an inverted winger they tried him as a secondary striker alongside a real number nine they've actually tried him just straight up up top or right underneath as maybe an attacking midfielder but in my opinion he hasn't really excelled at any of these positions similar to my Joao Felix take Mm. I think Kai Havertz is a little lost out there as far as like who he wants and needs to be on the pitch specifically and I think the situation at Chelsea didn't help Mm -mm. because they were rotating coaches like crazy the players weren't happy change of change of ownership all that just not going to help you find your identity as a player when you're in your early to mid 20s 
Then he gets his fucking move to the second best team in the Premier League Arsenal. When you look at his resume, it's perfect. <laughs> it's cr- I don't know how he's doing, man. He's got to have the best agent in like UEFA, yeah, bro. It's agent's crazy. working wonders behind the scenes, bro. God damn. It's dude. nuts, yeah, man. Dude. Going from Bayer Leverkusen to Chelsea and then to Arsenal, Arsenal who's right second there. in Boom. the table. Boom. That's crazy Boom. good business from Kai Havertz's LLC, man. It's <laughs> ridiculous. And... I actually think it's a good signing, despite all the negative things that I said, and here's why. Mikel Arteta, with the team that he crafted with Arsenal over these last two to three seasons, has been a team that thrives off of dribble penetration. And even at times, are like the modern version of Barcelona's tiki-taka. I mean, you have Martinelli on the left side, Saka on the right side, Odegaard underneath, and Gabriel Jesus, when he's healthy, up top, All four of those guys thrive when the ball is at their feet. And then from there, they can combine with nice tight passing. But the emphasis when Arsenal play go forward, it's off the dribble. And as I said before, one thing that Havertz has done really well over these last two seasons is get better on the ball, combining in tight spaces. And whether he finds an immediate position in Arsenal, I'm not so sure. But off the bench or in rotation, I do think he can actually have an impact because I think his style of play specifically fits and suits Arsenal's style of play a lot better than probably any other Premier League team out there for Kai Havertz specifically. So when I look at it from this type of perspective, I actually think it's a decent signing for both parties because I think Havertz will be happier playing the style of play that he likes to and Arteta could use him. You know, if Martinelli's injured or Saka's just, you know, not on it on the day, well, you can bring on Kai Havertz to at least keep that ball moving. And he still has a decent knack for goal. Now, will he have like a crazy good impact? I'm going to say no. And for me, this season and maybe the next two seasons, I'm going to basically ask myself, is this it for Kai Havertz? Like, can he actually go above the threshold that he set for himself? Because I don't know if he can. You know, I don't see Kai Havertz scoring more than like 12 goals a season. And if he can't do that, then he's not a striker. I don't see him getting more than like seven, eight assists a season either. And if he can't do that, then he's not really a creative attacking midfield type of player. So what is he, man? I don't know. I do think he can do some good for Arsenal. I just think there's a lot of unknown Overall, though, I do think it as a good sign. You think it's a good sign? I do, I do. That's where you're landing on. That's where I'm landing on. But okay. like I said, I don't think it's going to be a revelation. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to be but, insane. But shouldn't it be for that much, bro? Yeah, okay, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. like $75 million, Yeah, That's what was reported. The, the, the economics of all this literally makes no sense. And if I'm in charge of Arsenal's money, I'm like, okay, who could we add to our Arsenal to actually improve our team? Kai Havers would be last on my list, yeah. man, as a scout. Yep. It, it really would. Well, that's why I was surprised, man. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not who I immediately thought Arsenal needed. Right after the Premier League season ended, let's go for Kai Havertz was not my first thought. But I see the reasons that you point out. And that's kind of the same line I'm thinking of. There is a place for him in this team. Yeah. I just don't know specifically what it is because, to me, Kai Havertz, as of right now in this moment, after what I saw at Chelsea, is a whack of all trades. He's not great at one single thing, brother. <laughs> he's not. But he's, he's semi good at various things what's his role going to be could it be and i've been seeing this be thrown around on the internet man could he be the next thomas muller 
Could he approach yeah. a role in which he is just the most fluid of all players? A man can, that can exceed in almost every area of the pitch offensively. Yeah. Can he take on that role? Or is it as something more specific, such as just an out-and-out striker yeah. or a midfielder? From what I've seen, Arteta wants to play him out in the midfield. You see that shit? He wants to play him on the left side. And that's similar to your take. I think why this signing could work for Arsenal because similar to Thomas Muller, being at a team like Bayern Munich gives you an identity. You know, you don't have to ask for one. The coaching staff, know, they'll know where to put you. And then from there, it's up to you to put in that work to thrive. I feel like Arteta has a similar system already set up at Arsenal to where once he knows your skill set, he's going to know how exactly how he wants to use you. So from here on out, that's kind of what I'm saying. These next year or two at Arsenal, for me, is going to define how I view and judge Kai Havers. Because if he can't figure it out here, where he probably has the best teammates he's ever had, Arsenal's on a huge high right now, and the coaching staff is so solid and so solid in all their tactics and strategies, especially offensively. If Kai Havers can't figure that out, then, then I just don't think he's it, bro. I just don't yeah. think he's it. But. Getting creative and putting him in a kind of midfield position, I, I do think could work. He has the ball handles for it, but does he himself want to do something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's what I'm curious that, about. That's what I'm going to be questioning and wondering as the start of the season begins. I saw a, um, a YouTube comment that really summarized w what his role, I think, should be at Arsenal. And I have it written down here. I'm going to read it to you guys. It goes like this. Havertz is not an attacker. Havertz is, in fact, a Thomas Müller region, false auxiliary, shuttled libero in a medio central role playing off a revista, an introverted triquiartista with a forward supporting libero flanked by an overlapping inverted wingback as part of a gang-impressing modern catanacho system. That's where, that's where he would thrive best, brother. And that's why Arteta got him. <laughs> that, like, actually, that sums up my whole opinion on Kai Havertz. He has the skill set, kind of. You just got to put him in that exact position. In the exact position, whatever the fuck he is, man. Yeah. And good luck with it at that time, man. I hope you can figure it out. We got your guy, but God damn, Good dude. luck, man. This kid's confusing. And then the last thing I'll say on Arsenal is that they are in talks right now to finish off signing Declan Rice. Yes. I don't want to go in depth on that. I don't need to talk overly. We don't need to talk in detail about that signing. A massive, massive statement signing. I want to go somewhere else. Yeah, but, but to just close on that... <laughs> Um, I never opened it. <laughs> and you get a little slit opening, and I'm going to pry it open. Uh, Garnashaka left. Perfect replacement, man. The perfect replacement. Yeah. I just think it's a little interesting, given how loyal and, and truly how useful Shaka has been for Arsenal over the last, like, what, six, seven years, man? Yeah. He's been incredible for this club. And I know he's... I know he's basically memefied at this point as kind of like a laughing stock. I would say he kind of redeemed no, it this last year. Dude, that was his best year under, oh, under, he, in I, Arsenal, I think. And, and that's year. why I'm so surprised is that at a certain point, he kind of wasn't playing good football. But I thought he was phenomenal last year, man. Probably one of the more solid midfielders, especially if you compare him to an inconsistent Thomas Partey, right? And so him just leaving off the bat of their best season in a long time... I actually think, I, I, I'm not going to say they're going to miss him, but I do think they're going to feel his absence. I would say especially at the beginning of the season when Declan Rice is trying to get acclimated to Arsenal's style of play as well. I just think it's, 
I don't know, a little risky given that, you know, you still have Manchester City to beat. You, you have, you know, an interesting Liverpool to go off of. Manchester United, too, trying to get back to, you know, a top two, top three finish. Just think it's a little interesting that Arsenal will let go of their club captain just like that. Yeah, yeah send him over to uh, Xavi Alonso's project. Mm-hmm. But uh, can I move on, bro? I'd like to move on, man. <laughs> Let's keep talking German football, man. <laughs> Let's take the Bundesliga now, man. Let's go to Stuttgart signings. <laughs> no, we're going to La Liga, man. We're going to La Liga. And we're going to Real Madrid. We're ah. going to talk about the team of all the fans that you've met of the show. We're going to talk about Real Madrid because just like Declan, Declan Rice was a statement signing, I believe Jude Bellingham mm. was a statement signing. But the sign that stood out to me the most about Real Madrid is one of a Turkish nature. Turkey's got a new star boy, apparently. Mm. A new star boy from Fenerbahce, Arda Guler was signed by Real Madrid by, I believe, I think 17, maybe 20 million euros. This 18-year-old prodigy will be joining Real Madrid's project this upcoming season. What does his player profile look like? Well, he's very dynamic. He's a fluid player, very creative, offensive, plays in the winger position, but he's very, very raw, man. Very, very raw. This is very much, in fact, a project, kind of like how they approach Vinny Jr., I would say. The first couple of years are going to be a little rough is my prediction for this player. But what could end up panning out could end up being a player that compares to, a lot of people are saying Ozil. I see a little bit more of Guti. The question remains, can he carry or can he ignite Real Madrid offensively during what's going to be a rebuilding period for Real Madrid offensively? Karim Benzema, Ballon d'Or winner, has left this team and so has Marco Asensio. <laughs> They've signed Joselun who was one of the top scorers in La Liga last year, but he's 33 years old. And outside of that, they really just have Vinny Jr. and Rodrigo up top to rely on for goals. So Arda Goulet has a, a genuine chance here to make a name for himself on this team. But I just, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would warn Madrid fans not to be too harsh on the kid because he's 18 years old coming to a situation that isn't set to thrive. And it's going to take him a while to fully achieve his full potential. But the talent is there, man. Yeah, absolutely. When I look at signings like Arda Guler that Madrid, you know, make quite often, I really just don't even look at it, judge it, analyze it. Due to a couple things. One, the age. I mean, he's 18. And it's not to say that there can't be really good teenagers. But, but to compound on that take, he's playing in the Turkish league. And I do understand the Turkish League isn't bad. I'm not saying that. But when you get young prospects from France, you know, even Portugal, for an example, for example, or like you get Marco Verratti from Italy, you know, these are a lot more competitive atmospheres that at the, at the time these young players were coming from. And getting an 18-year-old who, yes, did play for Fenerbahce, a big club in Turkey, I just think it leaves a lot of unknown a lot of can he actually play for a big, the biggest club in Real Madrid? Can he vie for a title in one of the toughest competitions in the world in La Liga? Can he handle the pressure of needing to make a deep run in the Champions League? All while you said Madrid is for sure in a rebuilding period offensively. I don't know, man. I just think it leaves a lot of uncertainty for a guy like Arda to even just come in and kind of expect playing time for that matter as well. And I know he's a little bit older, but it could kind of remind me of Martin Odegaard, right? Came on as a 16-year-old, a high-flying, attacking midfielder who had incredibly tight touches. 
and you know never really saw minutes for Real Madrid and ended up finding a career path elsewhere, right? Not to say that it didn't end up being good. I just don't think I can judge Arda until like he's playing pretty much every week for Madrid. But that's the thing. Martin Odegaard was trying to get into probably the best Real Madrid of all time, one that was winning titles in the Champions League. This team ain't that. I think what I'm trying to get at is I think they might actually need him to produce something in that first year. That, that'd be crazy. Because they don't have that man. much offensively, man. But, they but, really don't. But aren't Madrid really stubborn with bringing in new blood like this, bro? And I, I mean, like, stubborn as far as the sense that, like, you have to really make a statement. Like, the reason why I think Vinny Jr. was able to get consistent playing time, because you could see what he could end up being. Just off the bat, straight from Brazil... Vinicius Jr. was a monster on the flank. He just needed a little bit of refining, whether it's with his decision-making or just his overall finishing product off the pass or in the back of the net. But you could still see that Vinicius Jr. had it. Can you, can you really see it with Arda? Like, I, you know, I didn't really see him play live last year. I don't really watch the Turkish League. I caught up on some of his highlights. He's good. But I don't, I don't know, man. And then when you have to compete in a midfield position, I feel like Madrid are just going to go with the safer options. Camavinga, Chuameni, Kroos, Modric, now Jude Bellingham. Like, I see Arda is like not even being in that like fifth, sixth spot, man. He's going to be at the bottom of that pecking order. I just think he's going to have a lot of personal work to do. He's just going to have to focus on getting better, learning from all the veterans that are around him, and even some of the young guys, too, who have been with Madrid for a year or two. Because, you know, if I had to pin them against each other, Camavinga, Chuameni also came to Madrid at a young age. I, I rate them way higher than I do Arda. I really do. Even but, though but he's not going to be in the midfield. He's going to be at the right wing position. No, I know. He's, a, he's an attacking, creative yeah. player. I, I, I do understand that. Um, but that, that's my point, though. I don't see the stability in his play. Whereas when I looked at Camavinga and Chuameni, mm-hmm. when they came, you, could, you knew that they had a little bit of class. That they already had that. I think Arda's really raw, bro. Like, really raw. And yeah, is he, he is. really no, going to play? Is. And especially if you compare him to a player who doesn't even play more, like Lucas Vasquez. Vasquez can still do something that I think Guler can't. And that's, just, yeah, and, and that's just down to experience. It may sound like I'm being really, really harsh. I'm just stating the fact that Madrid is such a big club. For sure. No, for that's sure. That's my whole point. But they need help. This is what I'm getting. They need right. help up there. And Rodrigo still hasn't been able to solidify his starting position. I think the kid's going to get minutes. I don't think they're going to loan him out. I, I don't. But you I think, think he's better than Rodrigo? Because Rodrigo's so good. I don't think he, I'm not saying he is, but I think that they're going to actually give him the opportunities because mm. this state of this Real Madrid team versus the state of the team five, six years ago was much, much different. True, true. Bro, true. they got Jose Lu, bro. That's honestly not very Madrid-like yeah. to get a, a, an aging striker like that. I feel like it's temporary, like when they got Chicharito, for example, or when they got Emmanuel Adebayor, they got those players, first off, due to injury, but it was always temporary. I think Madrid are waiting for that next big number nine, and I think they're going to make that choice, maybe not very soon, but you know, maybe within the next like six to 12 yeah, months. Yeah. And I think at that point, they're, they're not going to look back. Once they buy that big name striker, he's starting and playing every single minute, because that's what Madrid do. That's why I'm surprised that I haven't heard any rumors of them and Harry Kane right now. Yeah, that is actually me. pretty crazy. I know the Mbappe situation is happening too, yeah. and he's more of a winger, but he, he could play in that nine position. He easily could. Uh, so I, w- I wonder if that's, if that's what they're ultimately just kind of just sitting back and waiting for and just fiddling with other little talents in the meantime. So my third transfer that I was going to talk about actually was Jude Bellingham, but just to kind of finish up on him because I didn't really get to say anything, uh, I think this is such a class signing. 
This is good business, classic Real Madrid going for the next big thing. If you consider Erling Holland and Kylian Mbappe to be the next big young prospects in an offensive line, then Jude Bellingham is the next big young prospect in a midfield. He's the best central midfielder that's like below the age of 21, <laughs> like by a long shot. And, you know, you compare him to players like Musiala, Gavi, or Pedri, I think they all have a little bit of something different to give. But I think Bellingham just always looks the most comfortable. Mm -hmm. He always looks the most experienced. Played every minute at this last World Cup at the age of 19. Durable. Bro, he's 20 years old. Ever since he came onto the scene for Dortmund at age 17, man, he's looked so cool. And I just think he's gotten better every single year, too, as well. And that's what's crazy. He's still going to be like before his prime for the next yeah. three years. Yeah. And he gets to do that at Real Madrid. Unlike Guler, I actually do see Bellingham immediately coming into the starting lineup. And for sure in rotation, just because they do have a lot of midfielders. But, you know, for those big games, and especially at the start of the season, I see Bellingham starting right alongside, let's say, Luka Modric and Toni Kroos. I think he's going to play that more kind of free-roaming central position. Kroos will play his usual defensive, and Modric will just kind of roam and sweep a little bit more offensively. But what Jude's so good at, man, and what I, what I love about his play is... He can really drive a tempo. Once he gets comfortable on the ball and he starts moving that ball back and forth, he actually gets heavily involved offensively. And that's what I love about him because, yes, he has attributes of like a box-to-box -box midfielder, but then at times he'll do like a really good penetrative through ball. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's a complete midfielder, a guy who can do both duties exceptionally well. So Jude Bellingham from Madrid, that's a Galactico signing, yep. and he could end up spending the next 10 years there just defining his career as one of the next best midfielders of all time. I think Bellingham can get to that level, yeah, and Madrid got him, bro. They got him. They got him. They swooped in and got him last minute. Statement signing. Mm -hmm. Statement signing. Mm -hmm. Not much to say here. He's going to be under the leadership of two greats and Tony Kroos and Luka Modric yeah. for at least one season. And yeah, he, he already has his starting spot cemented for him. His impact will not go unnoticed. He is tailor-made for a club of this size. He's had that pressure. He's had that, he's had that attention on him ever since a young age. And he's been comfortable in it. He's thrived in it even. And he's performed at both the club level and the international level as well. He's that guy, bro. Yeah. He's that guy. And I'm, once again, left just almost jealous that Madrid was just able to snag him like that because ultimately it was that it was that Madrid status, that Madrid legacy that was able to lure in a player of this quality versus what should have been a team like Liverpool or even Man City at that point. It was Real Madrid that ended up bringing in the English wonder kid. Actually, that is crazy because if you think about 99% of English talent they all play domestically. Rarely do they seek ra rarely do they seek opportunity outside of England. But Bellingham, yes, started his career at Birmingham, but really started his true professional career yeah. in Germany. Yeah. And then he's extended that by saying no to a return home. And he's going to Spain to play for Real Madrid. Damn. That's actually pretty cool, man. Yeah, a little bit of that Tony Kroos type of pad. Like I forgot that Tony Kroos played in the Bundesliga at right. one point. And with how long Jude's going to be here. I'm going to forget that he was at Dortmund. I'm going to forget he's English at some point, bro. <laughs> he might look a little Spanish to me at times, yeah. too. It's just a little tan now. Yeah. Crazy, man. But yes, the Real Madrid allure ultimately ended up bringing him in.
Class signing, bro. Class signing. And up there with just a really good, solid signing, an A-plus signing, one that I think can shift the way this team performs in the midfield as well is Real Madrid's rivals, Barcelona. Barcelona have been active in the transfer window, and they have snagged Champions League winner, a stud, a man that I have come to learn to just fully respect and admire, Ilkay Gundogan has joined Barcelona, man. Ilkay Gundogan, bro. I don't think I've ever truly expressed on this podcast how big of a fan I am of this guy, dude. This man's a winner. This guy is just one of those players that you have on your team, and then when he's on your squad, you feel better about yourself. He re-energizes every person on that team. You feed off his energy. You feed off of his leadership. And the thing that's so great about him is that he's already proven. He can just come into this Barcelona team and try to apply those same championship-winning traits that he learned and gathered at Borussia Dortmund and at Manchester City and he can now do that in La Liga for this Barcelona team that desperately, desperately needs a player like this. This is a leader. This is a winner. And this is a specialist in managing risk on the pitch. Because that's what I love about Gundogan. Whenever he's on the ball, he's such a good decision maker. He can be offensive if he has to. He scored eight goals in both of the last two seasons. And the season before that, the COVID year, the COVID year, he put up 13 goals, bro. Yeah. 13 goals. And that's never really been his trademark, goal scoring. But he's capable of it. He can do that. And on the flip side, he's he's sturdy, man. He's reliable. You don't ever have to be worried if he's on the ball or what decision-making he's going to have because he's just so reliable overall. His accolades prove that as well. The only harp I have on Gundogan now, the only harp, the only thing that annoys me about this signing overall is his age. He's 32. Yeah, He's 32. But he's shown it in not just last season, but the past seasons prior as well, that he still has a lot to give, man. And he's going to be able to give that to a team that just lost a crucial midfielder in Sergio Busquets. And I'm not saying he's going to be the immediate replacement, but he'll be a player that ultimately ends up helping this team in a massive way. Gundogan leaving Manchester City gives me the exact same feeling, but like times, but like times 100 as Shaka leaving Arsenal. Because I thought the heartbeat of Manchester City's midfield was Gundogan. His reliability, like you said, his risk management was done to near perfection, dude. He mastered what Pep's idea of an ideal midfielder was. I really do think so, especially especially in these last two seasons when City started to play what I like to call just like perfect football. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, if you're a fan of the pockets, you know how much of a fan I am of Manchester City, but you're right. Like, Rarely have I actually talked and just focused in on how Gundogan is, how good Gundogan is, but he's a baller. He's an absolute class of a midfielder and i just think it's kind of weird that he's leaving city God, that caught me off guard i just man. i just think it's weird but you could kind of say the same thing about bernardo silva when last year he was also linked with barcelona and dude he ended up playing pretty much every single game from january to june this last year for Manchester City. That's how good and important he was to Manchester City and to Pep Guardiola. The same thing with Ilkay Gundogan, and he's just gone? I, I, I just think that's yeah, really that, weird, that's man. weird, man. And again, he was bigger. the one that lifted the Champions League trophy for yes, them. Yes, and, and that, that's, that's, another, crazy. that's another thing. When you look at all of the midfielders that Pep himself brought to the club, 
Gundogan's like one of the only ones that has remained there as a mainstay midfielder. Pep brought him from Dortmund, and he was there starting in the Mm -hmm. Champions League final. And as you said, lifting the trophy, winning the goddamn treble this year. I just think it's so strange that Manchester City wouldn't be like, hey, you know, let's just keep you on as like a veteran player. Like, we want you here for the next three, four years guiding the rest of our midfield. Like, you obviously have the money. But especially given how, how clinical he is towards the end of seasons too, like Dude. it's become a trend. He scored the, I think it was a game winner against yes. Aston Villa a couple years ago to win the league. And then this past season, he was starting to get on like a, a bit of a streak towards the end that proved to be super important for Manchester City eventually topping Arsenal. Like that just became his trademark was his yeah. ability to score late in the season and be really important in those situations. And they're just okay with him leaving at the end of the day. They replace him, I guess, quote-unquote, replace him with Mateo Kovacic. But I don't see any similarities at all in that <laughs> sense. I don't think Mateo Kovacic is going to live up to what Gundogan was able to do. It's a solid sign for sure. But it is bizarre. It is bizarre from Manchester City's perspective. But I do think Barcelona benefits a ton from this situation, man. I think this is a massive signing for them. The, uh, absolutely. When you look at Gundogan, bro, he's ice cold. He does not hesitate. He rarely makes mistakes. Dude, he's such a good midfielder. It's the type of midfielder you want, and it's the type of midfielder you cannot replace, as you just said. Sure, getting Kovacic, he's a technical midfielder, and he's good on the ball. But for me, it's the mental aspect. I don't think you can replace what Gundogan brought mentally and spiritually to the pitch for Manchester City. But you know who does benefit from it? Barcelona. This is a really good signing because the amount of experience he's going to bring to Barcelona is literally priceless, man. But, you know, just looking from Gundogan, if you're a Gundogan fan, he's going to thrive in Spain. I think so. Like, this is gonna, this is a one-to-one translation. <laughs> if anything, he might even get more goals, more assists. I would like, love to see that. He's just going to go off, especially with a, you know, growing Barcelona team talent-wise, I think Gunnar Gunnar's going to have some fun in Spain, man. He's going to have some fun. I'm actually excited about this, like, in that sense, as a Gunnar Gunnar fan. Yeah. It's nice to hear you talk positive about Barcelona, man. It really is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a one good decision they've made in two fucking years, man. It's nice, bro. We're talking positive about Real Madrid. Not yeah, Barcelona. you're right. You're right. The top clubs are getting their shit together now, man. Maybe mm. that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's good to see. And Barcelona also just another few under the radar signings. They got Inigo Martinez from Athletic Bilbao. Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. And okay, then, um, that's not bad. He's a good player. Yeah, and then their exciting signing is Victor. Roque from uh, Brazil. I think he played at Paranaense. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 million euros. Vinny Jr. type of approach here. Huh. Coming over straight, 18 years old. Dude, comment section's comparing him to R9. R9 is what the comment section's saying as a potential prospect. Others are saying Luis Suarez type of player. And I think I see more Suarez in him okay. than R9. But it's a shitload of money to put into a young kid, and he's going to be an important part of Barcelona. But that's what they're doing behind the scenes. Okay, okay. Uh, to me, the forefront, the biggest signing is Ilkay Gundogan because of his status, man. Yeah. And I love it. I really do. I'm excited to see it. So the next one that I have, I was hoping, kind of hoping you would bring it. I was hoping you'd bring it, it up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to take over, I'll happily let you. But I just want to know... Does the name Sobo Slide do anything for you? Yeah, <laughs> we're not on the same page, bro. That definitely, yeah, for sure. It's I was a, gonna, it, I was gonna save the best for last, though, man. Nah, there, see, there it yeah, is. You don't want to talk about the captain, bro. The captain. The captain, bro. Of who? Of America, man. Oh, pools. Pools, bro, making a move. 
What do you have to say about that? I I think he's going to thrive. I I see Christian Pulisic as the best American talent that has ever been produced. I don't see his stint as Chelsea as a technical failure. Maybe like career-wise it can look like a failure just because, you know, he lost out at the end. But there's just so many factors that ultimately just kind of led him to not getting that playing time. He left Dortmund because he kind of had a falling out with Thomas Tuchel. Well, who ends up coming back to Chelsea? Thomas Tuchel. That's that's kind of weird for Pulisic just personally. But he still ends up having a really good season, having a huge impact in the Champions League that year, winning it. I think he's been really good for Chelsea overall. The implosion that happened last year I don't think helped, but I'm not going to really put that on anybody as far as like why Pulisic didn't get minutes. I just think there's a lot of players. I think also the fact that he's from CONCACAF is going to play a role in the minutes that he gets. We've seen it with Joel Campbell and Carlos Vela at Arsenal who were so good at such an early age but never got any respectable minutes. I think can kind of see something similar happening with Pulisic in England. And so him going to Milan, I'm all for it because I know he's going to be really good, bro. He's an incredible talent. His dribble penetration is that of a really good European winger. His natural instincts, his IQ as far as when to pass the ball, when to strike it when he's close to the box, it's all there. I have no doubt in my mind that Pulisic is going to go off for Milan or at least have a really good rotation position for this team. A team who actually ended up having a really good Champions League run, maybe a little bit fortuitous, but I think Pulisic is going to have a good have a good stay in Italy, bro. I really do. I think it's a great signing. Great yeah. signing. Another solid one. Like I said, there's this trend going on. These are just good signings overall. AC Milan is acquiring a... A good amount of ex-Chelsea players to their team, man. Hmm. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, yeah. Olivier Giroud, for example. The list goes on. Now Christian Pulisic. I'm excited to see him in that AC Milan jersey. I think it fits him. I think, I think the look will look very nice. And overall, I think it's nice to see a CONCACAF player play at such a historic club. One player from CONCACAF that will be leaving Europe and will be coming back home and what is being regarded as a very disappointing move for many for others, a nearly lateral move in that sense. We'll discuss is Eric Gutierrez to Chivas. Eric Gutierrez is coming back home Man. to Mexico. He played at PSV Eindhoven for five seasons, but this past season saw himself start to lose the starting position to uh, a new prodigy, a new <laughs> midfield prodigy, Ismael Sangare. Mm. And thus, he hasn't seen many minutes. He wanted to test out other waters in Europe. He really wanted to go to Spain, apparently. I saw a whole interview. He wanted to go to Spain, and he received offers. But apparently, if you're a foreigner from outside of Europe, and you've been in Europe for five years, passport issues arise. And apparently, it was too much for him to really figure out. And thus, he decided, you know what? It's time for me to go home. <sighs> so, Eddie Gutierrez, a player who, at 20 years old, was captaining Pachuca leading them to a Liga MX title alongside Chucky Lozano. And Pizarro. That was a and good Pizarro. team. That was a good team. Yeah. And began receiving the comparisons, rightfully so because of how well he played at the time, to guys like Andres Guardado, the yeah. heir to Andres Guardado, many said, or even like Hector Herrera, for example. That's what he was meant to be for the Mexican national team and at the club level too, to be such a, just an impactful midfielder, a metronome on that pitch. 
but it just never really fully panned out for Eddie Gutierrez, especially on the national level, man. I can't tell you one notable Eddie Gutierrez performance on the national ah. level, bro. I can't. I can't because the problem with him, bro, is that every time he's gotten an opportunity, he turns invisible, bro. He turns invisible. He's supposed to be a player that, like Andres Guardado, can be reliable, can be really solid, but then can have the ability to score a goal if needed, a leader on the pitch, a loud, a personality even, a character. And Eric is, in a bad way, just not noticeable, man. Not noticeable yeah, when he makes his appearances from when he makes his appearances from Mexico. And it's been like that for a long time now. I think overall, man, I'm disappointed in what his career has become. I wish there was more for him to give. And at 28 years old, he's coming back to Liga Mekis to continue playing football. Now, will he be a great signing for Chivas? I think so. Oh, yeah. I love this signing. I love this signing for Chivas specifically. He slots in perfectly because at one point, he was a mixed player when he was at Pachuca. He had offensive traits to him that were very positive. But now, he comes back as nearly strictly a defensive midfielder. Someone that can focus on the defensive duties of a midfielder and just push the ball forward. I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be great. He'll be comfortable in Mexico. He might even get back to a better playing level. If he finds his rhythm once again, if he can find that beating metronome within his heart, and he'll get to do it with a team that very much needs him and will be thriving once he arrives. So let's go, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. Good for Chivas, man. I'm happy for you. But I've never rated Gutierrez personally. Um, even when he was at Pachuca, I understood that for his age, you know, he was pretty level-headed, always made pretty good decisions, and to go as far as winning an actual Liga MX title at that young of an age, I was impressed. But ultimately, when I looked at the broader scope of things, I always thought his skill set was never going to be good enough. The fact that he even had a career in Europe, actually, that actually did a little bit surprise me, but kind of, as you said, in the biggest moments for the Mexican national team and even in Europe, I think Gutierrez isn't cut out for it. My biggest gripe with him is he's just too slow on the mm-hmm. ball. Way too slow. He can't really move it with any sort of rhythmic pace. And if you can't do that as the pivot point for your team, then there's just going to be a huge black hole when the ball comes to you from any sort of like creative or offensive impetus point of view. So I always thought Gutierrez is like a really solid midfielder, but not one that could compete at the highest level in Europe or at the international stage. So it does kind of suck that he's leaving. I do wish he would just stay in Europe yep. just, just, just so Mexico could have that yep. option. Like, hey, you know, you're playing in Belgium. Maybe he goes off on it like, like how St. Gilois went off last yeah. year. Like, what if he found that team? You know, what, go to Greece, you know, try to make Spain work out. Like, there's got to be a way. But I, I guess not. Going to Chivas, you're right, though. I think the biggest thing there is that he's going to a very competitive team. Chivas have been looking really good as of late. Equipo grande. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and he's going to be comfortable just because he's you know, back home in Mexico. So much so that it actually might elevate like, his confidence, you know, his level of play. But again, I'll just always remember Gutierrez as like a solid midfielder. Literally nothing more, though. Yeah, I wonder if it'll, it'll have like the... You see that comment Landon Donovan made about Pulisic where he thinks he should play in the MLS because he'll get more playing time and thus he'll end up being a better national team player because he gets more minutes? Oh, hell no. I wonder if that could work for Eddie Gutierrez, though. 
That might. That might. I feel like right? Pulisic needs to have the hardest yes. competition so he can maintain for his sure. tight touches. Yeah, I thought that was stupid from for, in regards to Pulisic. <laughs> but for Gutierrez, who <laughs> right. is not at that level, I think it could end up... Like, I could see him starting to find rhythm at Chivas and then eventually maybe having a positive stint with Mexico on the international stage. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at a player like Luis Chavez, for example, I think the reason why he's come onto the scene as of late is because he's been with a really good Pachuca side and he's been the focal point of their midfield. And when you're winning games in Mexico, it really does give you a huge boost. So if Gutierrez can ride that Chivas wave, I actually could see him could see him performing well for Mexico if he gets that call up. This one is specifically for League One fans down in France. This is going to get these people really giddy, really excited, really peaked. Two signings going to the same team, so I'm going to treat them as one. First one, Enzo Lafay. Yeah. Popped off for Lorient this last season. Especially in this first half, especially in the first half of the season, Laurent were winning games, and it was Lafay mm -hmm. pulling the creative strings from his midfield position, a free roaming number eight who goes side to side, always wants the ball at his feet, and is so eager to take risks off the pass. Such a fun player, and he's going to Ren to try and ply his trade and do something a little bit better. Lorient ended up finishing like mid to bottom, mid of the yeah. table, and so. For what was a good start of the season, Lafay could only do so much. But he ended up having like the most key passes for any player in League One that was under the age of 23. So he has a lot of prospect going for him. And I think going to a team like Ren, who finished fourth place, I think it's an incredible signing. And similar to Lafay, Ren also signed Nantes' captain, Ludovic Blas. The number 10, a little bit more goal-oriented as far as being more direct and scoring goals than Lafay, but just as creative, just as dirty on the ball. And it's, it's actually pretty rare when you see a number 10 winger-slash-creative midfielder captain aside. Usually it's a midfielder, a goalkeeper, a defender of some sort, but Ludovic Blas, at the age of 25, was already captaining Nantes. Actually won the French Cup with them Two years ago, went to the same final last year, but they, you know, they got fucked by Toulouse. Uh, but he's been such a huge focal point for Nantes' offense. And so now Ren get both two really good creative midfielders who popped off in the mid-table of yeah. France, and now they're going to try and do something special this year. I think they're really good signings, man. So I'm really excited to see what they do. Both of them pretty young, especially Lefay. Can they kind of improve and get that next big move outside of France? I think that'll be really interesting to watch for them. But those two signings really piqued my interest because Blas and Lefay are just so individualistic on such mid-tier teams. Yeah. They were so fun to watch. So now I'm curious to see, can they come... Can they join forces, essentially, and become part of a conglomerate, part of a true team that actually is competitive and can compete against, for example, like Lons or PSG? I wonder if their play is going to be affected by that. But if not, man, if there's, they're their same selves but with better plays around them, I think Ren's going to have a really fun offense. Yeah, man, that's good for them. That's good for them. I wish Lons made those signs instead, though. That, yeah, that, that, dude. Talking about Lons is, Lons is trying. Lons is going to be in a Champions League, bro. And I've been looking at their signings. The biggest move they made so far is uh, Andy Duf. But, bro, I'm not seeing much in the market right now for, for Lons. And it's scaring me because they might end up being one of the weaker teams in the Champions League. And I want them to at least be able to be formidable, be able to hold their own. Luckily, they haven't sold off too many other players. They still have their, their core. But I'm just... 
I'm a little scared as of right now. I was looking at the top transfers like money-wise on transfer market and the top 10 are all somehow related to Britain except for Ugarte. Wow. That's crazy, bro. Wow. And Jude Bellingham, his relation is that he is British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at La Liga 2, you take away Barcelona or Real Madrid. There's nothing. It's, bro, there's nothing now. It's a barren transfer marketplace wasteland now, bad. dude. It's crazy. The marketplace used to be bumping, dude. There used to be people blasting music. There were people selling food and shit. You see Leganes at the market trying to get like a South American <laughs> player. Now on, they can't even on. do that, dude. They can't even do that, man. Yeah. It's all over there in the more prestigious club, the better looking club, yeah. the better looking fucking league, the Premier League, baby. The Premier League. <laughs> That's seriously what I'm getting out of this. But we've been talking about that for a while. You know, we've been talking about that. <laughs> yeah, the Premier League is building as something that I don't think we've ever seen in football. The NBA of football. Absolutely. The NFL, you know, whatever makes billions. <laughs> Last one I'll mention before I get to the cream of the crop. Kind of just in line with that, with that way of thinking of uh, the Premier League snagging one of the best players that a league has to offer and weakening that league in return. Serie A took a hit. Serie A took a hit with a player that was supposed to be a lifelong captain at this team, Sandro Tonali. Mm. And in Milan's perspective, has passed away. He has (laughs) passed away, bro. He has left us. Sandro Tonali, at 23 years old, is going to go join the exciting project of Newcastle United. Newcastle United just snagged. Probably one of their best signings in the past few years alongside Bruno Guimaraes, in my opinion. Yeah. They now have a midfield of Tonali, Bruno, and Joelinton. And that, if it ends up working out, could be one of the most hardworking industrial midfielders with a pinch of creativity that can make for an incredibly competitive midfield and thus a very competitive team in Europe. What a signing, bro. What a signing. Yeah, this is such an excellent signing because what an upgrade, man. When you look at that original midfield three of Joe Ellington, Bruno Guimaraes, and what was Joe Willock, Willock was clearly the weakest link there. Not that he was a bad player, but the amount of space that he was asked to cover and then also be good on the ball and try and distribute it, be involved offensively, it was a lot to ask for a player of Willock's stature. But now you get a guy who can do it who actually can utilize his ability on the ball, but also have the know-how with his defensive duties as well. But not just well, exceptionally well. I think getting Tonali is such a good signing because now hopefully it can relieve some of that defensive pressure that Newcastle always had in every single game. Because no matter how good they were and how exhilarating they were offensively, it always seemed like Newcastle would just struggle a little bit, whether it was maybe Guimaraes or Joelinton not being able to track back, and then therefore their center backs would get exposed. There was always that threat of, ah, Newcastle, they're probably going to get scored on, especially if they're playing against a really good offensive team. But if you put a guy, a pivot like Sandro Tonali, right in the center of that mid, midfield I think he's going to relieve a lot of pressure and then to boot he's good on the ball you know he's not going to you know get like five eight assists a season nothing like that but he's not going to let you down when you give him the ball you can rely on him to maintain it to retain it and then to distribute it I think he's an all I think he's He's close to a complete midfielder. I think he actually still can improve himself, which is exciting from a prospective point of view for Newcastle. This is such an awesome signing. And one that, bro, 
Did not see coming. Didn't see coming. Did not see coming even in the slightest. I didn't even know he was on the market, man. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I thought he was just going to be a centerpiece for Milan for the future. And here he is now in, at Newcastle. Yeah, pretty and crazy. So, good for him. But, bro, I, I think the biggest impact that he's going to have for this team is... I mean, I mean, think about when we've done podcasts, man. When we've, when we've had a third person join us, like Augustine, <laughs> and we've felt the ease, how much freedom that gives us. That's what Donali's present is going to do for that, for that midfield. Yeah. Once he's able to just be the pure defensive mid- midfielder for this team, Bruno can be more free. He can be more creative. He can tap into those offensive capabilities that we know he has, and that's just going to end up impacting the team positively. So overall, this is the perfect signing, I think, for Newcastle, and yet another really good signing overall in the transfer market, man. Yeah, absolutely, especially for the Prem, bro. And we finish it off, unless you have another one. No, I'm all out, except, you know. I think it's time. Yeah. I think it's time, man. (laughs) Vision. Movement, dribbler, leader, long-range shots, close-range shots, handles, and on top of that, a goddamn stud, man. It's a good-looking guy. Yeah. Dominique motherfucking Sobosly, and you can throw in Alexis McAllister in that conversation as well. We will has joined Liverpool on a 60 million euro fee. Me- Mexico. <laughs> What's in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> You're that emotional Holy about shit, it. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That's what it feels like. Huh? <laughs> Allow me to get carried away here. Please. Allow me. Liverpool has gotten rid of James Milner. Oxlade-Chamberlain is in the process of getting out. Nabi Keita is leaving as well. The midfield is currently getting revamped. Two massive signings, two huge, gargantuan signings, prospects, players that still have so much to give, so much to learn, so much to develop, but yet are already proven are joining this team. The offense is already filled with star-studded talent. The back line is already figured out. All that needed fixing was the midfield. And these two signings, if they can provide to be the players that they are expected to be, are going to save Liverpool. And thus, I am going to get carried away and say this: Liverpool's back, bro. Mm-hmm. Liverpool is back, and I'm just—I'm not—I'm not just saying they're back like in a casual sense. I'm talking about 90 plus points in a league season. Liverpool is back, and why is that? You might say. Well, because when you look at both of these players, despite the highlights that I have for them in terms of their offensive capabilities, the assists, the goals, what they can do on the pitch, the best stat that there is for both of these players is that they're durable. They don't have injury history. Injury history doesn't exist to them. Dominique Soboslai in the past two seasons in a league where you can play a total of 34 games, played 31 games back to back. Alexis McAllister always up for the challenge. He has Mac in his name because he's as reliable as Mac Donald's because I always have 24-7, bro. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Liverpool is back, my brother. They are back with these two massive, massive signings. And I am as excited as I can be because I think the fits are great. I think the personalities are great, the characters. And I think that these are bound to be Liverpool legends if they can just... Oh, if they can just tap into that potential that they have. I'm excited, bro. I really am. And on a realistic note, I think this is just a very, very good move by Liverpool's front office. Dude, what 
incredible signings, Soboslai and McAllister. When I saw that Liverpool got both of them, both, bro. like within the same transfer window before the preseason, I was like, wow, what good business. And just good foresight overall because these two players are on the rise. And it doesn't look like they're anywhere near slowing down as far as their offensive output, man. I feel like they're at least going to get the same numbers that they produced last year, whether it was with Brighton or whether it was with RB Leipzig. And they're going to able to implement all of their skill sets and apply it to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. And what better coach to have who does promote such offensive output with the players that he has, man. I think these two midfielders are going to thrive at Liverpool, but I think more specifically because of Jurgen and Klopp, man. I really do. Looking at Sobosly, just looking at his career, his resume, it's like the perfect, like almost like That's FIFA career mode dream, dream man. Bro. You go to Austria from Hungary. You start off with a you know, small team, but you're in the Red Bull system. So there's prospect for at least a good future as a professional footballer. Pops off at RB Salzburg, man, who actually was a part of the Jesse Marsh team That's back crazy. like in 2018, 2019, and was good in the Champions League. But you could tell Sobosai was really raw at that moment. But you could still tell that he was an excellent player. Guess that moved to Leipzig. And as you said, man, these past two seasons, he's been so reliable, so durable. His stats, so consistent. I think getting around like 13, 14 goal contributions, eight goals, six assists, something no, like no, that. It's literally the same. Eight goals, six assists. No, six, six goals, goals eight, eight assists. assists in back-to-back -back seasons. And the same amount of games played too, 31 games. Wow. He literally replicated both. That's perfect, man. And I think going to a team like Liverpool where the players – you know, no disrespect, are so much Careful. better. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, much, <laughs> so much better yeah. than the teammates that he had at Leipzig. It gets me really excited to see what Soboslai can do in the Premier League with players like Sala, Jota, Gakpo, Nunez in front of yes. him. That gets incredibly exciting. And then, and then you add in the Argentinian maestro, Alexis McAllister, who had an incredible season last year, man. Truly an incredible season. A midfielder who, once he's in rhythm, man, low-key unstoppable. As far as, like, you can't take the ball off of him. He starts getting incredibly creative and risky with his passing, but he's really good at it. And then beyond that, McAllister actually scores more goals than Soboslai. Yeah. He's a little bit more direct. Yeah. And then, on set pieces, McAllister's going to have that boot to either put in a wicked cross or go for a goal and have the confidence to do so, See, man. If, if Trent let him, lets him take those, that's, the, that's what's crazy. And Sobosai's also Sobosai good too. at... Uh, and too is really good at dead balls, man. So there's so much extra offensive output that Liverpool now have by just the inclusions of these two attacking midfielders. But it leaves me with one question, Let's bro. go. Now let's get it over with. How in the fuck is Klopp going to figure this out from a midfield <laughs> perspective? Where is he going to play these guys? Yeah, I, I, it makes curious. no sense to me. I'm curious. I, he's going to have to build a. Let me whatever whatever I read about Kai Havertz. Let me just fucking read that <laughs> shit again, man. <laughs> fucking Catanacho gang impressing, uh, fucking regen, fucking bullshit. I don't know what the hell he's going to do he's here. He's going to have to play a his, four six, just four <laughs> defenders, six <laughs> midfielders. I think I saw someone say that man. It's like two fucking defenders and then eight offensive <laughs> options because they're so they're so top heavy it's in that sense, man. There's so much offensive talent on this team i think truly it's going to end up being uh mcallister sobo slide and then fabinho behind them but we're going to need fabinho to be on his a game because these right. guys are going to be going up man that's my problem is i do think fabinho can do it but if mcallister and sobo just get a little too 
eager to go forward, Fabinho is going to be isolated. Yeah. Not to say he can't do it, but if you're going for a title against a team like Manchester City, you have to be damn near perfect, yeah. bro. Which kind of makes me concerned is, will Klopp actually go a little bit more defensive, play Fabinho, maybe Henderson, and then just one offensive tool, whether it's McAllister or Soboslai. But if that happens, that's going to suck for one of them. Like, because you went from being, you know, your best player on your respective team to now possibly being on the bench. Like, I, I understand I yeah, you know I it's for a greater cause and that you can win silverware. But, man, like, even from just a fan perspective, I want to see, wherever they're at, McAllister and Sobos like playing 90 minutes. And Trent, bro. And I think Trent needs to be in that conversation because in the last half of the season, that's he right. was playing in the midfield, bro. And that's like... How are you going to manage three different personalities like that, diff different characters on the pitch, and fully see out their potential that they can give for the team? I don't know if he. I don't know if you'll be able to figure it out. Like I don't think you uh, will. Guardiola figured out a great <laughs> system in which he shifted his formation completely this yeah. past year, and he found a way to have I think it was what five, six offensive players at one time. Mm -hmm. But you had the improvement of John Stones coming into that defensive midfield position next to Rodri. Who's Liverpool's version of that? Is it Henderson or is it? going to be another defensive midfielder that they are yet to sign in the transfer market. I don't think they're done yet, man. Absolutely. And then and then don't even forget about the players that are still rising and still improving their own game like Elliot and Curtis Jones, man. Mm -hmm. Like Liverpool at this point when everybody's healthy are completely stacked in the offensive category of like whether it's midfield or just the Thiago's front three. Thiago's still there. Thiago, He's still shit. there. And he'll be healthy to start the season. Who knows how it goes because he always gets injured. But That's crazy. He'll and, be there. And then, and then even beyond that, if you have a healthy Luis Diaz and Jota, yes. how do you decide who to play between those two and then also Gakpo and Darwin Nunez? <laughs> and Salah, man. And, yeah, and, and Salah. Salah. Yeah. I feel like Salah's going to yeah, have sure. that right side. Sure. But what's crazy is that McAllister especially, and even Soboside to an extent, could play out wide. Yeah. They actually could. So maybe that's the solution. You, you play McAllister out left. You play Salah out wide. Soboslai in attacking yeah. midfield position. But then again, you're going to make Diaz sad. You're going you're gonna to make Gagpo <laughs> sad. Or Darwin Nunez. Like, somebody's going to be very displeased oh, this out, season, man. man. So Klopp, I, I, whether, whatever he does figure out, I, I, I take it back. I do think he will figure it out. But, man, he's going to leave out some players. Yeah, he's going to have to. Man, but does... I think there's a championship winning formula in that team. I just don't know what it is. You don't think they're missing, like for example, a Declan Rice, or or, or, or yeah, or like a <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, or maybe just like another stalwart I think, center I think, back. Yeah, I th yeah, for sure. I think another center back, um, maybe another fullback replacement if Trent ends up transitioning over to like the midfield role or a defensive midfielder. I think those are our three biggest needs. So yes, there still are holes to fill, but. I, I think at this point, with everyone at, at full health, I think there's a championship formula. I just don't know what it is, man. Yeah, I'm not going to put yeah. that responsibility. I'm just a podcaster, bro. <laughs> I'm not the <laughs> fucking the, coach. Dude, dude, that's what's crazy is that we genuinely could analyze Liverpool's entire situation. It could take like a two-hour like session. So, it yeah. really could. And yeah. maybe we do. And maybe it's like a thing <laughs> where we look at their first five games, see what's going on, see what could be changed. Like. Liverpool's situation going into the season is absolutely fascinating, bro. And it's just because they've done good business. Yeah. Really yeah, they, good they're business. so good about it, man. Aspilicueta's a colchonero. 
Happy to have him, man. All right. Happy to have an aging Spanish center back. What's new for Atletico <laughs> right now, man? Jesus. What is going on with y'all, man? We love old players, dude. Fucking uh, we so love Chu. So Young Chu. The we did, oh, yeah. We, we got it. Okay. Yeah, that's it, a good age. It's good. I just think he's been really inconsistent and been a part of one of the worst defenses in the Prem. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Welcome to Atleti. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, bro. Damn. Well, let us know in the comments, folks. What are some transfers that have stood out to you? Some that you're excited about and some that you want to hear talk about. Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe. And we'll see you guys soon. Till next. What's going on with this outro? <laughs> What's going on, bro? I'll see you guys next time. Peace, Peace. man.